Well, good evening. <laughs> Welcome to church. I'm not quite sure what that was. Well, I am, but uh, we'll get there. Uh, my name's Rowan, one of the pastors here. And tonight, I wanted to introduce this whole section in the next part of Paul's letter to the Corinthians with one of the most complained about Australian television advertisements from the 2000s. Uh, that's the shortened version, you'll be thankful to know. Uh, the longer version is a little bit even more creepy. You can check it out on YouTube later. <laughs> but that video highlights two things that are really helpful for us tonight. Number one, the absurdity of a body part leaving your body. This is ridiculous. Like, whose tongue ever does that? Shove hands? <laughs> right, no one's. Right? It's kind of crazy that one part would go off on its own, and we'll see the implications of that tonight as we look at this part of the Word of God. Hopefully that'll be burnt in our memories. <laughs> Secondly, uh, the kind of whole idea behind that ad is that for um, something to be enjoyed, the different parts of the body have to work for the good of the body. Now, according to the premise of the ad, I'm not supporting this, the premise of the ad is saying that satisfaction comes from drinking Tui's Extra Dry, which is an Australian beer, it probably tastes horrible, you won't <laughs> like it. Uh, I'm not encouraging you go and drink beer, but you're getting the idea behind the ad. The parts of the body, the tongue, works for the good of the body. As today we look at the, this next section in 1 Corinthians 12 to 16, we will see that the spirit-filled life is not about beer, right? Spirit-filled, it's not about alcohol. <laughs> it's not even about our thirst for satisfaction. We'll see that the spirit-filled life is about the profound nature of what it means to be part of a different body part of a body that we'll see what that is tonight. So why don't we pray as we look at God's Word that He would change the way we think about who we are and what we're doing to be in line with His Word. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for the privilege that it is tonight to come together as Your people. Thank You that You have spoken to us in Your Word and that by Your Spirit You shape the way we think and therefore the way that we live. And we pray tonight we would just see how amazing it is to be called Your people to be called into a local church, to be able to love and work alongside one another. And we pray that that attractive picture that you paint for us will draw us to love you even more. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, not many Christians get this. That the moment you become a Christian, you become part of something much bigger than yourself. The moment you become a Christian, you become part of something that is bigger than you. And the society that we live in, the air that we breathe, is built on the identity of the individual, of who you are and, and what you can contribute and how you can get the most out of life. We're so individualistic as people. Have you noticed that? We kind of think about the choices we make as to what will bring me the most joy or what will bring me the most satisfaction. Particularly, I want to say, those of us with a Western heritage, uh, to those that have kind of got an Asian heritage, I think you guys are better. Kind of think through family, less individualistic, maybe. Maybe you can correct me where I'm wrong. Uh, but kind of people from a Western heritage just think about me. I don't really want to listen to my family. I don't want to be part of my family. I just, it's about me. It's about me. Well, as Paul writes this letter to, to a church in Corinth in the first century, he writes to a church that's disastrously focused on individual rights and freedoms. They love them. They love seeing and self, seeing their own gifts serve themselves. 
They love following teachers that satisfy their ears, that the consumer culture. And I wonder if it reminds you of us. Paul reminds this church and us of the profound reality of what it means to be a Christian. And it's this. You are part of something much bigger than yourself. Have a look with me at verse 13. Paul says this. For we were all baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of the one spirit. The chief identifying factor of the Christians in this church of Corinth wasn't their love for gifts and so they're the charismatic church. The chief identifying factor that they needed to recognize was that they were part of one body. Paul is saying they are part of one body. Their identity wasn't in their nationality. Their identity wasn't in their choice of food or the language that their mum and dad spoke at home. They didn't kind of sit around and go like, we're the rice guys, or, you know, that, that's our food, or kind of the Mexicans, right? They're not like, yeah, it's nachos, right? I don't know what, I don't know, sorry if you're Mexican. I, I don't know what Western food is, I was trying to think through that. Every time I think about Western food is, I'm like, it's just stuff that makes you fat, right? That, yeah, yeah, good, thanks. It wasn't that that gave them their identity. Uh, it wasn't uh, how their families were brought up. It also wasn't their jobs. It wasn't their position in culture that gave them their identity in this church. So different from us. Their identity came from the fact, their true identity, if they were thinking rightly, came from the fact, Paul says, that they were part of one body. They were part of one body. Got me thinking. What is it that defines you? As you think through who you are and, and, and what is it that, that makes you, uh, what defines you? Uh, like, is it a family crest? Does your family have like a family crest on the wall? You know, does, that, does anyone have this? Come on, show of hands. Whose family somewhere has a family crest? Come, come on, proud. Let's see it. Hands up. Nice. Keep your hand up if it's got Latin on it. Awesome. That's so great. Oh, I can't even read Latin, but it's cool. So maybe for you, it's like we're part of this family. Like, I'm, I'm from the family of the Hillsdens. There's a den in a hill somewhere. That's where we came from, right? Not very inventive. That's my last name, right? Uh, it came from uh, Somerset in the UK. It's where my kind of, in England, that's where my family was from. Does that, does that show me my identity? Um, or, or maybe for you, kind of uh, the Polynesian or Maori culture is maybe not a crest but a tattoo. A family tattoo that shows your origins, markings on you to say, yeah, this is who I am. This is where I've come from. What is it for you? You bump into someone, a neighbor, uh, someone at uni, someone at work, uh, at a party, and they say, oh, you know, tell me about yourself. What do you say next? What is it that we allow to shape our view of ourselves? The course you're studying, uh, the job you have at work, your role in society, you know, I, I'm, I'm a parent, uh, I'm a grandparent, I don't know if there are many grandparents here, you know, uh, I'm a student, you know, um, I don't know what you say, but you do. And what Paul is saying to this church in Corinth is, if you trust Jesus, if he is your Lord and King, then your identity isn't built firstly on who you are, but whose you are. Your identity is not built on who you are, but whose you are. For you are part of one body. You are part of one body. Listen to verse 12. For as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. 
The body that this church is part of is called the body of Christ. It's his body. And when I first read that sentence, I didn't expect it to end that way. You read it, for, for as the body is one and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one, so also is, what do you expect it to say? The church. Right? Well, we've heard that, the body is the church. And, but, but suddenly, Paul says, you are part of this body called the church. No, no, no. You are part of Christ. You are part of Jesus' body. The Messiah, the promised King, the one who came and lived and died in your place. You are in that body. You are part of His body. You belong to Him. That is your identity. Uh, he says it again at the, at the end, at, in verse 27. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. If you trust Jesus, if He is your King, then you are part of His body. You're part of the body of Christ. You are united to Him. Now, it doesn't literally mean that we're part of His body, literally. You know, like the, the guys over here, like you guys are like the tongue, right? And they're kind of Jesus' tongue. Look, I saw Jesus' tongue today. No, and then someone over here is Jesus' hand and His head and I'm His armpit. Like, it's, it's not like that, right? It's not a physical body, but it's saying something even more profound. It's saying kind of like, we're part of a family and there's that family identity, that family heritage. Well, how much greater is this picture? You are part of Christ's body. Something profound happens when you entrust yourself to Jesus. Something out of this world, something very, very different. Something thoroughly supernatural. Now, when we hear that word supernatural, we kind of immediately go to the kind of like the crazy, out there, ghost whisperer, amazing stuff, right? Supernatural, like extra natural, more than just natural. And we think of crazy things. Uh, so when I was growing up, there was a cartoon series on TV called Voltron. Does anyone know of Voltron? Show of hands. Okay, good work. Thanks. Thanks for helping me. So, so Voltron was this, like, they had these, well, first there were lions, but then it ended up being... Um, these kind of trucks and stuff, and there were these these different five different parts of this guy. Well, actually, individual people, but they all came together uh, to be Voltron. And there's the I am the head, and it would go, I am the legs, and I'd be like, I am the torso. Together we are Voltron. <laughs> See, you love it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. But when that came together, there was all this like cool flashes in '80s retro hipness. Right, and they actually drew them with hands. You could see the pencil marks on it. It was great animation, but it was like all this noise was happening. It was like, whoa, this is cool. That's what supernatural is. And we kind of think that when we, we talk about spiritual things and supernatural things, that they're extra spooky, ghostly, crazy, out there stuff. It's out there, but it's out there because of this. When it says spiritual, when we talk about what spiritual is, we're talking about that it is the work of God the Spirit. Something that is spiritual is the work of God the Spirit. Look at verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we're all made to drink of one Spirit. The supernatural thing that's going on here, the spiritual thing, isn't crazy pop and fizz and buzz and ghosty craziness and Voltronness, right? It's the fact that God the Spirit is doing something. That He is bringing us and uniting us to Christ. Making us part of His body. That is, that is spiritual because it is from God the Spirit. He continues, we were all made to drink of one Spirit. Now again, that's not too, He's extra dry. 
Right? It's not saying go and drink beer. He, he's saying here that, that to, be, to be drinking of the one spirit, he's saying that we've been um, permeated with the spirit of God. We've been kind of flooded with the spirit of God, imbued with the spirit of God. God is in us. That sounds crazy. God is in us. But we kind of just roll it off the tongue. We're like, yeah, yeah, the spiritual life's about this amazing things and this amazing power. The spiritual life is that God lives in you and he's united you to Christ and you are now part of his body. That's your identity. That's who you are. You want to be spiritual? You show that Jesus is your head and that he's living by the spirit in you. Now, some from different church backgrounds come, come across this passage and they kind of have a view here that being a spiritual Christian is something that's different from being just your regular Christian. There's people who acknowledge with their head that, that Jesus died for them and they trust him. And they're kind of like just the normal Christians. But then there's this kind of baptism of the Spirit. Perhaps what Paul's talking about here, where, where there's a second subsequent experience of God and he comes and empowers us to be kind of on a new level as spiritual Christians, to have supernatural gifts. But Paul says here that that can't be true. What he says here means that there cannot be a second baptism thinking. When we come along and say, oh, we're now baptized into the Spirit. Well, have a look at why. He says here that all are in the one body. We're in Christ. And that all in that body were baptized by one Spirit. If you are a Christian, then you are in the body of Christ. And that all who are in the body of Christ were made to drink of that one spirit. They have Christ in them. They have the spirit in them. They are imbued. They are permeated. They are flooded with the spirit of God. See, to be a Christian is to be spirit-filled. The moment that we trust Christ as our king and say, I want to make you the ruler of my life. We know we can only do that because God's spirit has shown us who Jesus is. That he is Lord. That's what we saw last week. The true Christian. The true spiritual person has Jesus as Lord of their life. Remember Jesus' comments in Matthew and Mark where people were doing all sorts of miracles. They said, Jesus said, get away from me for I never knew you. They said, but we prophesied in your name. We healed people. And he said, you didn't obey me. You didn't have me as your Lord. To be a Christian is to be filled with the Spirit. If they all are in the one body, if they all have been baptized in the Spirit, you can't separate those two realities. To be a Christian is to be filled with the Spirit. You are part of Christ's body. And Paul says that to the Corinthian church. He says that you, Corinthian church, are the body of Christ. Now, some people come along with, it, with another idea, and this is pretty common. Where we think, when we hear the words body of Christ, we think about all the different churches on the face of the planet making up the body of Christ. Kind of like Voltron. Right? There's, there's the kind of the Anglican church, and they're like the, the foot or something, you know? And there's the Baptists, who've got more things right than the Anglicans. And so they're kind of, maybe, easy, yeah. easy. Uh, we'll talk later on that one. Uh, and they're kind of like the other foot, right? And then there's kind of like the, the, the charismatic church. They've got their kind of strengths over here in the arm or the heart or, you know? And then there's kind of like the liberal church, the guys that don't hold to the Bible. Are they part of the church? I'm not really sure. I don't, you know, and we kind of go, that's the body of Christ on earth. And we kind of want to celebrate that. But this passage actually doesn't quite allow that view here. There's something far more profound going on. See, every church, every individual church 
is part of the body of Christ on earth. But it's more than just a part of the body. While it's true that every believer is united to Christ, right? We're all, Ephesians tells us we're all seated around the heavenly, around the, around the thrones in the heavenly, hang on. We're all seated around the throne in the heavenly realms, right? So that, that's the reality. That's the, the heavenly church. But the Corinthian church isn't just part of the body of Christ. Paul doesn't refer to them as you are part of the body of Christ here. He says you are the body of Christ. Look at verse 27 again. Look carefully. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. And he talks about that local church there being the skills and gifts of different people and the gifts to one another. And that is the body of Christ. The church he's speaking to is of the local church, the Corinthian church. What he's saying is that each and every local church doesn't really make up the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It's representing Christ on earth. That is the local church here, uni church. You are the body of Christ here. And as a church meets up the road, they are the body of Christ too. It's not that there's multiple bodies of Christ, but we are expressing Christ to the world around us. Let me quote a man far smarter than me uh, called Don Carson. He says this, In the New Testament... Characteristically, each local church is not part of the whole church, but simply the church. The outcropping of the church or the exemplar of the church in any particular place. So along with Paul's language about the body, Paul does not mean that each congregation is a part of the body of Christ or a body of Christ. Each local congregation is the body of Christ. See, if Paul can call the Corinthian church the body of Christ, not just part of it. That has huge implications for the way that we view the local church. That we, this congregation here at Uni Church, are the body of Christ. And we need to represent Him, that we have different skills and abilities that God has brought us together for His purpose here. We don't just belong to all Christians everywhere as part of the the people of God. We belong to this body, the local church, which is the body of Christ. That's the second point I want us to see clearly tonight, that we belong. We belong to one another. We belong to one another. Not to just every Christian, or there is a relationship we have all gathered around the throne in heaven as the heavenly church. Not to just all people everywhere. Not in the same sense. When Paul talks about the body, he's talking about this local congregation. And each part of this body belongs to one another. Listen to verse 14. So the body, you Corinthians, you are the body of Christ, the body is not one part, but many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, in spite of this, it still belongs to the body. What he's saying is we belong to one another, no matter what you think. No matter what you think of yourself or of others, we belong to one another. Now, I'm not saying that we, we can't go and visit other bodies, other churches. That's wrong in some sense. No, it's great to go and see other churches. I'm not saying that we can't change churches. Like, once you're in a church, you're stuck for life. You know, we're there. Um, it happens in the New Testament. People are sent to other, other churches. People go and encourage other churches. But the kind of normal picture is that, that this church the members belong to one another. They need one another. Like 
to change should be a big thing. It should be like, why are you leaving this group of people you've been called to? It's kind of like, yes, you can transplant a hand. You can do that on a body, but you shouldn't do it every week. Like, oh, I don't go on that body this week. I'll cut off my hand and go and stick it on that one and so on. It should be right. Take some drugs and, you know, that's that's effort. (laughs) He's saying you belong to one another as the local body. Now, for some of us, we want to belong to the church that's here. We want to belong to the body of Christ, but we just don't feel like we fit. I don't know if that's you tonight. Coming along and for whatever reason, you just you feel like you don't belong. It might be because you're not like them. You don't do engineering. You, know, you don't think in flowcharts. You know, it might be because um, you know, others have different gifts and skills, different lifestyles, different backgrounds, different friends, and you're like, ah, oh, I just don't feel like I click, I'm not part of this body. For some of us, we only feel like we belong in the body if we've got like a best friend at church. We've got someone that we really click with, like, oh, finally I belong. I really feel like I gel. And Now, I'd love you to have best friends at church. I mean, it's great to have friends that care and look after one another. But we must make sure our logic does not negate the truth Jesus says. If Jesus says you are part of the church that you're in, that you do belong, and we don't get to go, no, I don't. <laughs> He's saying, I've called you together. I've put you in this body. Here you are at the moment. As, as part of this local church, as this body, you belong. If this is the church you are in and you, you are in Christ, you belong to this body, to this church. You are part of this church no matter how you feel. God has placed you here. He wants you here. You belong here. But so often there's a difference between our experience and the reality that God tells us. Have you seen that? Like God tells us in his word that we are now gathered around the throne in heaven. I know that's true from Ephesians, but I just don't feel it. I know that God tells us that his spirit lives in us. Sometimes I'm like, really? I'm so tired. I don't feel necessarily totally different. I don't feel like, whoa, I'm newly empowered. Not that the word tells me that's the case, but I know it to be true. And I don't go, no, the Bible's wrong because I don't feel it. I say I need to change my feelings in relation to what God says in his word. I need to let his view of the world and reality shape how I feel, not how I feel shape reality. You let how you feel shape reality, all sorts of things go wrong. Ah, I don't feel like studying this year. The reality is you need to study because otherwise you're not going to get a degree. Why didn't I get a degree? Because you didn't study. Like You can't do that. So often there's a difference between your own experience and what God is telling us. Paul is saying to this Corinthian church, this church is so focused on gifts and pop and flash and bubble and, and individualism, he says, listen to God. You belong together. There's this faction that wants to stop people speaking in tongues in the church. And there's this other kind of faction that's saying, no, we need all sorts of tongues all the time. And that's the mark of a spiritual Christian. And we want to follow this person and that person. And I don't want to be with them. And they don't want to be with us. And it's kind of like two parts of the body going, I don't want your foot. You're like, get out of here. And your other foot's going, I don't like you either, you smell. And you're just kind of yelling at one another. And you're like, guys, we need to walk. We can't go anywhere. Well, well, you're just yelling at each other. Listen to God. You belong here because Jesus says you do. Verse 18. But now God has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. When that feeling comes along, I don't belong. 
this is hard. I'm not sure. In the church you've been committed to, the church you're a part of, listen to God's word. You belong. Now, we still need to work hard at loving all the members of the body. We need to work hard. It's not easy. You think about our own body, the illustration Paul's using of a body here and then linking it to the church. There are some times, real life confession, okay? There are some nights I don't want to clean my teeth. Have you ever experienced that? Like, I'm tired. Oh, there's clear hands at the back. Look at that. Don't turn around. I did clean this morning. But there are some times I'm just like, I don't want to clean my teeth. I just want to go to bed. Why? Why should I clean these teeth? You know, that's annoying. It's tiring. I just want to fall into bed and go to sleep. I'll clean in the morning. It'll be fine. That's too late. All sorts of excuses. Teeth, just shut up. You know, I'm too lazy. I can't be bothered. We have these excuses. But I do it. I clean them because they're part of the body. I don't get to say I don't need you teeth. Imagine if I had no teeth. I don't need you. This just sounds stupid. There are times I'd rather just neglect them, but they're part of my body. I need to care for them. That's just how we work. And I'm sure if my teeth could talk, oh, the stories they would tell. Imagine if your teeth could talk. They'd say, I don't want to eat that steak. There's this great steak there. And the teeth would be like, I don't want to eat that. I don't want cow stuck between us. Don't bring that cow between my teeth and you have to clean it out later on. I'm like, but protein and iron is good for me. Steak is great. It looks good. The eyes are going, woo, eat the steak, you know, <laughs> eat the steak. And teeth are like, oh, do we have to? I just wish you'd get lost. Get lost eyes. Stop looking at the steak. But you know what? The teeth go, all right, for the sake of the body, you know, I'll get a bit of cow between my teeth. And then later on, you can clean them and get them out. That's how we work as a body. We don't kind of get to go, I don't need you. No matter where you're at tonight, no matter how you feel about this group of people, Jesus wants you to know that if you trust in Jesus, and this is your church, you belong here. He has brought you here. You belong to one another. No matter how you feel, because you are part of a body that he has brought together. He has placed each one of the parts in one body just as he wanted. But Paul goes even further than the reality that we belong. In point three in your outlines, he says this, that we are necessary. We are necessary. Not only do we belong, but we need each other. Look at verse 21, 1 Corinthians 12. So the eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. There are no unnecessary parts of the body. And we kind of come along with our skeptical minds today and we kind of, you know, we know the body. We know we don't need the appendix. It's like in the church, is there an appendix? Are there people that we can just do without? That we can say, look, you know, it's great you've got one, but if it causes problems, let's just cut you out and we'll get on with life. You know, and some people are like tonsils, like what do they do? I don't know, maybe med students can tell me later, oh, just hang there. There's do but you know they cause problems. They get inflamed. People are like right out the tonsils. They seem to live a perfectly full life, like, and we kind of go maybe it's like that in the church. And we kind of take the illustration that he's using too far. He's saying no. God made this body for a reason. He brought the people that are here together for His purpose. We can't say to anyone, "I don't need you." No one can say to us. I don't need you. There are no unnecessary parts of the body. 
Ever found yourself thinking, why is that person in our church? Oh, they're so annoying. Always right. Hate that. You know? Or there's that person that maybe is a little bit awkward and you're like, yeah, they, just, they, they think a little bit differently. And you're like, why are they here? The church would be so much better if it was just everyone like me. You know, if we were all feet, it would be awesome. No. You know, what about the person that's a little bit too geeky? A little bit too smart? Or he, he's, he's, he's my favorite. The person that is too godly. Oh, wish they'd go somewhere else so I'd look better. You know? They're always in the Bible and making me look bad. There's sometimes you kind of, I don't know, maybe it's just me. Maybe this is my inner thought life at times. <laughs> I love you. Huh? <laughs> you think it too, be honest. Paul is saying we are necessary. We need each other. Even those parts of the body we think are weaker. We think we'd be better off without. We think our appendixes that we can just chop off and see no difference. We need each other. Look at verse 22. But even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are necessary. And those parts of the body we think to be less honorable, we clothe with great honor. And our unpresentable parts have better presentation. But our presentable parts have no need of clothing. What's going on here? Is Paul really talking about undies? Is he talking about underwear? Yes, he is. But he's not just saying that there are parts in the body that are less honorable. We kind of think that. He's using an illustration of our own bodies, right? And in our own bodies, there are parts that we, we kind of don't present to the world. And thank God for that, right? That's great. Underwear is doing its job, and that's a good thing. It's supporting, protecting, keeping out of sight. There are parts of the body that are kind of less honorable for public consumption. And the way that we work, there are parts that are fine. Like we can see one another's faces and we're like, yeah, that's cool. Right? And so we kind of think as a body, and Paul's using this illustration, that maybe there are some parts of the church, some people that we just kind of cover up and stick in a cupboard, just, just quietly. But no, he's not saying that. He's saying there are parts that you think are less honorable. Look carefully at the text. Always look carefully at the word of God. Even more, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker. doesn't say they are weaker. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker, I'm using an illustration of your body, are necessary, right? You don't have more people being born in the world if you don't have the parts that your underwear covers up. Just saying. No feeding babies, no reproduction. Okay, so necessary. So the parts that seem to be weaker are necessary. And the parts of the body that we think to be less honorable... We clothe with great honor. He says, we think to be. He's not saying that in the church there are parts that are weaker. He's not saying that in the church there are less honorable parts. He's using the illustration of the body and the way we treat the so-called unpresentable parts to convict us of the way we treat one another. To show that in your own body you give special honor to the parts that you think are less honorable, but you don't do that in the church. He's saying we should recognize the reality that we are all valuable. He hits you with then the knockout punch. For those of us that ever drift into thinking that we are more honourable, that our gifts are better, that we should be here and maybe others aren't, that our skills and contribution to the body is, is better than others, listen to this. Verse 24. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honour to the less honourable, so that there will be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Don't think of others less. God has put them there actually for an honourable role. Uh, 
he's put these people who perhaps maybe are harder for us to understand or have gifts that we see wrongly here to give them honor so there'd be no division amongst the church. Last week we talked about the, 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 with, when it comes to people in God's church, there's not like first class and economy class. There's not like first class gifts and economy class gifts and it's like there's a big barrier between them. He says, no, you need one another. No part can say, I don't need you. It's kind of like this, what he's saying. He's helping us to recognize how in the body, even bits that we hide away are important. Imagine for a moment a car engine. I don't know if you think through engines of a car very often. But inside a modern car, uh, the kind of the main control room of, of a modern day car engine is this thing called the engine management system. Right? It's this computer that lives there and it works out. It senses kind of the amounts of exhaust coming out. It senses when the valve timings change inside the motor, how much fuel gets it kind of injected into the, into the cylinders. It's kind of the brains of the outfit of your engine. Okay, now it's kind of, if, you, if you're going to look at all the technology in a car, you're like, that's, that's kind of like it. Like, that's the highlight, right? That's, that's the one that's driving everything. You compare the engine management system to the sump plug. Now, the sump plug is the bit that's on the very bottom of the engine. Right? It's just like basically a hunk of metal with a thread on it, and it just screws in to make sure all the oil doesn't come out. It's not a very sexy bit of the car. You're kind of like, wow, it's a lot of technology there, and that sump plug, it's a screw. Right? It's, pretty, it's pretty normal. But if you were to kind of take that sump plug out, you could have all the engine management system in the world, but no oil, and no oil means no drive, because the whole thing will implode. It's a less honorable, less sexy, less technologically advanced part, but without it, the whole car stops. How dare you think anyone in the church is replaceable, isn't needed? So God gives those that seem to us in a less honorable position special places to make sure this body works well. Don't forget that. Our church is not to be like the rest of society who honours those who are already honoured. It's to be countercultural. It's to bestow the greatest honour on those who seem to be negligible. To be they are part of our family. It's to love them and care for them and, and, and serve them and be served by their necessary gifts. We are a body that God has brought together. So therefore, don't isolate yourself from those you would not normally associate with. Don't kind of pull back and just chat with the people that are like you. God is saying to us tonight, to the Corinthian church and to us, you need each other. If you've got a sore toe and it's causing you problems, it's it's easy to cut it off, right? Let's get lost. He's saying, no, you need that toe. It's helping you to work out your balance. In fact, I've put that toe there to be niggling and perhaps potentially annoying so that you might learn patience, Rowan. So that you might work out that you are a body, you belong to one another. The seemingly less honourable parts God has put here to help us, to grow us. I want to do something a little bit weird tonight. If that video wasn't weird enough, we'll continue in the same, in the same vein. We don't normally do this, uh, but I think it's something helpful. I want you at this moment to look around at the people behind you and in front of you and next to you. Just have a good look at the people that are here. See their face, okay, who are these people? Right, okay. All right, now what I want you to do, I want you to say to the person sitting next to you, when you look at them in the face, and I want you to say this, you ready? I need you. Off you go, I need you.
Okay, okay, okay. That's what Paul's saying. We need one another. But now I want to do something else again. When you look maybe to the other person or someone else around you and say this. Okay, you ready? Three words. This might be even harder to say. You need me. You need me. Okay. All right, let's come back together. Now, I love to see a show of hands, just social experiment right now, just kind of working out. Who found it harder to say out of those two sayings uh, that I need you? Hand up if you found it harder to say I need you. Okay, these are the people that like to help, right? Okay, hands down. Uh, the, the, the people that, um, that don't want to admit, like, oh, we like this, all of us to some degree, but, but generally we're like, oh, you know, I, I don't like saying I need you, I want to be self-sufficient, and that's, that's kind of what we're like as, as humans, we'll be at different points like that. We've got to fight against that. I need you. Um, who, who found it harder to say you need me? Show of hands. There we go. You need me. Now, at that point, it's because um, we don't like to go, oh, look, you're going to need me. We, we might be people that would be less likely to offer help. We don't want to intrude. I don't, I don't want to kind of recognize that you need help. Um, it's interesting, isn't it, the way we think? But we've got to go, both of those statements are true. I need you, you need me. That's, that's what this passage is saying, that we need one another. Look at verse 24. God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable, so that there would be no division in the body, but the members would have the same concern for each other. Let me summarize that. God has put the body together so that the members would have the same concern for each other. We are who we are with all of our weaknesses and strengths and gifts and abilities, with the people that we kind of like are harder to get along with. I mean, hey, you've got to get along with me. Sorry about that. You're right. God has done that so we would have the same concern for one another. Can we think, yeah, how do we show concern for one another? How do we live this out? What does that look like? Well, in the passage, there are two clear ways that we show concern. Number one, so if one member suffers, verse 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. The way we show concern is suffering with one another. When I kick my toe, it's not like my toe that just goes, ah, it hurts, right? It doesn't just do that on its own. I go, oh, that hurts. I roll around the floor like a baby and Sarah's like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I kick my toe, you know, it's tears coming out of my eyes. You know, like, the whole body reacts. So it is when we struggle. And part of this body, this church goes through hard times and we struggle when we, we get persecuted by others or we make dumb decisions. It actually hurts all of us. That's the spiritual reality of what is going on of being in this body. We express that concern for one another by going, oh, that must suck. We suffer with one another because we are members of the one body of this church, this uni church congregation. We don't ever just go, oh, well, sucks for you and get on with life. Paul is saying we suffer alongside one another. That's one of the ways we show concern. The other is that we rejoice with one another. If one member is honored, verse 26, all the members rejoice with it. 
as something goes well, as someone makes steps forward in godliness or um, is able to say no to a sin or, or is something that happens that is celebrated, we all celebrate. That's part of the joy of being part of a body. We, we get to suffer with one another and, and celebrate with one another. Let me give you an example of this. Um, having children is such an intensely personal thing for many women and many couples. And some couples are desperately suffering because they want to have kids. Apparently, about one in ten couples can't have children or have problems having children. These one in ten couples are really hurting because they want to have these kids and they're suffering and they're sharing with with others about that suffering because they'd love to see children come into the world, but they maybe can't. Well, on the other hand, other parts of, of the body, of the members of the church, are like popping out kids like, you know, crazy. It's like they have kids, no problems. It seems like they look at each other and they're pregnant. And you're like... What is going on here? Now, it's easy for the person who's finding it hard to go, oh, I hate you. You know, it's, I look at you and all your kids and I'm so frustrated. But what is, what, is, what is God saying to us in the way the body works? They get to rejoice because another part of the body are having kids and that's great and that's a great gift. And so they're like, praise God. Praise God. And these kids, are, these, these families are sharing together. They're, they're loving one another and saying, praise God that you're able to have kids. At the same time, the family that's having kids doesn't go like, oh, we've had another kid, don't tell them. They go, look, we've had another kid and it's great, but we know that must be hard. Because you're trying, you've been trying for 10 years, and I know it's hard for you. And so one family are kind of suffer, sorry, rejoicing with the family that are having kids, and the family that are having kids are kind of suffering alongside the family that aren't, and together they're supporting one another and rejoicing and suffering together. Wasn't that a great picture? Isn't that far better than the individualistic view that our world says that just you just do it on your own you go to the doctor you talk to them you have your time and that's it if one part suffers they all suffer if one part rejoices they all rejoice who are you suffering with for the sake of the kingdom how are you opening yourself up to sharing your sufferings sharing your joy and your rejoicing something's hard for us the temptation is to kind of be quiet or cut it off or don't talk about it. But this body is rich. It is deep because God's spirit has united us to the Son, and his spirit is working in us that we might have Jesus as Lord and live for him because we need one another. When evil or wrong are done to someone within the local church, it's done to the whole body. It's done to Christ. Do you feel that? Do you express that reality? Does it hurt you? When your brother or sister in the congregation sins or goes through hard times, do not let the individualistic nature of our world rob us of the richness of true spiritual Christianity that we are brought together in the body. We are necessary for one another. It's one of the reasons why I think it's important not to chop and change churches all the time. Some people come along and like, I want a church that does this, or I want a church now for this season in my life, and I want it to provide me with these things and do those things. I want to say, church is not about us. It's about us. It's not about me and what I get. It's about how we are and the body that God has called us into. Yes, we can change churches. I've said that. But it should hurt because we're here for one another. Think about changing churches like ripping your arm off and sticking it on somewhere else. Individualism does not work. 
but we're called together to stick around, to know one another, to be part of the body, to see the gospel go out and bear fruit. And yes, sometimes it hurts. We send people away to, to kind of start in a new area and join a new church and serve Jesus there. But it should hurt. We should stick around because we are a body and I need you and you need me. We are necessary for each other. But finally, point four, we are also very different. And thank God for that. Verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has placed these in the church. And now look at all the differences. First, apostles. Second, prophets. Third, teachers. Next, miracles and gifts of healing and helping and managing and various kind of languages. Now we come to this part of the Bible and we're like, oh, what is this? What is an apostle and a prophet and a teacher and a miracle? Then miracles and gifts of healing. And we, we're like, we spend our time thinking through, yes, we need these to be the spiritual church. But Paul's like, you are the spiritual church, you goons. Stop worrying about all how, about what was this? And they've got that gift and they speak in tongues and I want this. Stop it. You are united to Christ. You are a body. The thing here isn't to kind of understand all the gifts that are the power of God for the church. It's to recognize that God has called each of us into it, to use the skills and abilities and gifts that he has given to be helping one another. Some see this list here as a list of importance because it says first apostles, second prophets, third teachers. It could be that, but I think there's a few things that kind of push against that. Firstly, everything he's just said. He's gone, there's no more important than the other. It's the argument he's been making for the whole lot of chapter 12. Uh, and so to kind of go, well, first there's, you know, apostles. You're like, stop, I want to be an apostle. Well, no, he's not saying that, I don't think. A second problem is that um, throughout the New Testament, you see that, that prophecy doesn't seem to be as important, if this is a list of importance, as teaching. Uh, we're going to see in Corinthians 14 that when two or three prophesy, that the prophecies are weighed. Someone gets it wrong, they're like, oh, sorry, that was wrong, my bad, they move on. So, okay, prophecy is good and important for the church, it's weighed, but then if you're a false teacher, what happens? John says, boot them out. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. If you're a false teacher, get out. Get them out of the church. Do not listen to them. It's like no second chance for you. They're like, oh, stay amongst us. Hang out. Yeah, we'll try again next time. So it seems like this teaching is, is more kind of important to get right than prophecy. Yet Paul, he ranks them in a different order. What, what could he be saying? Well, I think he's actually talking about chronology, time. As the church started, as churches start, they were started by apostles, those who knew Jesus, who, who saw him, who were called by him to proclaim the gospel. And then raised up prophets who were, were speaking about what Christ had done and how that applies to us today. Third, he then instilled teachers to keep teaching what God had done to the churches and mature them in Christ. And then amongst the churches, there were miracles that happened, yeah, and there was healing and helping and managing and directing and languages and tongues that were spoken in the church. I think what's on view is a chronology here. Uh, and then we get this little list and you get the point that he's making in 29. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all do miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak in other languages, do all interpret? And some people come along and we read that and go, well, maybe they do, maybe all are apostles. But the original language doesn't let you do that. And I wish there was a way to, to kind of do it in English. Uh, when it asks that question, are all apostles? Uh, the Greek has a way of asking that it already flags that the answer is no. In fact, it says, no, all are not apostles. Like, no, are all apostles? It's like a question where the expected answer is a no, and everyone knows that. It's got this word at the start that is a no. 
Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Are all teachers? No. Do, do all do miracles? No. Do all have gifts of healing? No. It's so repetitive. What's he trying to say? What are these gifts? No. He's saying that we're different. We are called together with the different skills and abilities that God has given us. What does this mean? Be who God has made you to be. Be who God has made you to be. Use the gifts and talents and skills you have for the kingdom in a truly spiritual way, with Jesus as Lord, as part of a body. That's how we're to use our differences. Now, we're going to have time for questions in two weeks' time, and then again the next week as we look at 1 Corinthians 14. So if you've got questions, write them down. A few people asked a question last week. Uh, and last week I said there weren't two classes of Christian, not first-class Christian and second-class, not first-class gifts and economy gifts. A few people wrote down, but what about 1 Corinthians 12, 31? It's on the screen where it says, but desire the greater gifts. Like, ha, you're wrong. It says here in this passage, desire the greater gifts. Is that contradicting what he said earlier? Well, to understand what Paul means by 1 Corinthians 12, 31, you need to come back next week. Because then we'll start to see how that is used. But let me give you a quick hint. It's not about one gift being more important than another gift. Paul's just spent a whole chapter making that point that we need each other. But eagerly desire, desire the greater gifts, is desire to use them, I think, in a way that is helpful. The greater gifts are those that are used for building up rather than just selfishness. We'll see that next week. There is a far greater way than the way the Corinthian church has been using their gifts. Eagerly desire gifts, Corinthian church, that build one another up. What is Paul saying? He says this, I need you. You need me. We belong to Christ's body. And this is Christ's body. So, how do you tonight need to change in response to that reality? Perhaps for you, you need to stop feeling like you don't belong. You need to stop letting your feelings drive what you know to be true. Maybe chat to someone. Share that you're finding it hard. Talk. Use the body and the gifts that are here. Or maybe for you, you need to start using the gifts God has given you. And actually go, I've been put here. I need to be who I am and use them in the way that I've got strengths. For others of us, maybe it's that we need to repent from jealousy. To stop looking at those other people and being, I'm not like them. I, don't want, I wish I had their gifts, but I'm not going to hang out with them. You're part of the same body. For others of us, perhaps we need to repent from isolating ourselves. From being distant from others that are different. Or perhaps you need to repent from isolating others. Freezing them out. Just not talking to them. We're not going to know everyone in church, but... We're going to know some, and connect groups exist, so we might get to know one another well and open the Bible together and sit under it. Perhaps you need to stop waiting for a friend and start being that friend. And it's hard and takes guts, but you have a friend in Jesus. You are united to him. He has died for you. And so express that you'd love to have a friend. Lachlan did a great job two weeks ago uh, in that sermon from Proverbs on friendship and what friendship is in relationships. I want to encourage you to have a listen to that if that's you. Think through how we express friendship biblically. If there are issues amongst you with others, then sort them out. Don't go on and be like, you know, this foot says to that foot, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. 
I'm not going to walk your way. I don't like that beat. And we just kind of go on the rest of our life walking like an awkward person rather than being the body that God has made us. Perhaps as we look at others, even when they've frustrated us, even when they've said things that have hurt us, even when they're awkward, to appreciate how God has made them. God made this person like that. And he made them like that for my good and for the good of the body. So while I've been frustrated or while I've been hurt, why don't I come to them going, look, you probably didn't mean this, but it affected me this way. Talk about the situation, behavior, impact. But also recognize the great gifts God has given them. It kind of takes the, the sting out of some of what goes on. God has put this person here. They're part of the same body. I want to love them. How do we respond? I think we need to pray and ask that God would change our hearts and minds to move us from that individualism and recognize that we are part of a body, to think and feel in line with God's reality, to be spiritual people who God the Spirit has called us into this body and bring our feelings and our thoughts in line with God's reality. Why don't we pray God would do that tonight in each of us? Father God, we want to thank you tonight for the way that you have worked through your word and by your spirit, through the reality that it is of bringing us together into this body, that everyone who trusts in you and is part of this church is part of that body. Thanks for the gifts of each other. Father, we repent from times that we have thought we don't need one another. We ask that you show us where we need to apologize to others in that area. We ask that you would change the way that we think to keep trusting you and therefore letting your word shape the way we feel. Father, we apologize for times we've cut people out or we've, we've distanced ourselves. Tonight we ask that your word and your spirit would show us the true spiritual reality of being part of a body and that we'd express that in love and enjoy that and be used by you for your glory, for the fame of Jesus' name. And we pray, Lord, for those we here tonight who are thinking through what it means to be a Christian. We ask that tonight all of us would see how amazing it is to be part of your body and you would draw us to yourself, show us that great love and help us to trust in Jesus as our King, that his way is better than our way, that he is the one who has died in our place and that he has called us into fellowship with you by the work of your spirit and into fellowship with one another. Father, tonight we pray that we would understand that we need each other here, that each other needs us, and that you have called us into this body as your church. Amen. Friends, why don't we stand and as a church together express that we are his kingdom. We are part of his church and he's paid the price for us. Let's stand and sing together.